Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time we have together. Uh, Thank you for our time of just singing your praises and uh, the beautiful words that have been written for us to sing back to you. We thank you for that. We pray this morning that as we open your word, that your spirit would just uh, come. Show us what you'd want us to have. Open our our eyes and our ears. Apply this to our hearts. Uh, We thank you that your word is living and active and that uh, it is alive and that you speak to us through it. We pray this morning that we would see clearly what you have for us in your word today. We pray that you'd be glorified in this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, What fulfills you? That was the title of an article that I read this week in a... I stumbled across it. I was reading a bunch of different articles, and this particular one was was asking the question, uh, what fulfills you in your life? And and it was a real short article, just kind of big idea, uh, asking the question. And then as I was reading underneath that was all these places for comments where the people reading could comment on what that is for them and all these things. And so I started reading through all these comments. And, and as I was reading and going through, it became real clear. There was about 30 that I read through and all of them were, you know, a couple paragraphs, pretty long answers of what they were, what they were saying. And, and every single one of them was vocation. What fulfills me is doing this job or that job. Or, uh, one lady wrote about starting a nightclub and how successful it was. And now she was going to start a spa and this and that, and all these things on and on and on. And so as I was thinking about that idea and that thought of, of, of what fulfills you, uh, there's a lot of really huge things underneath that, underlying that question of, of who we are and where we're going and uh, uh, what your life goals are. We all have those questions in our life, whether we think about it expressly, if it's, it's right in the forefront or not, we're often dealing with that and thinking about that, whether we admit it or, or even uh, voice it. But uh, I want you just to think about that this morning, uh, what do you do and, and who you are and what your goals are and, and where you're moving and, and why? And I want you just to think about that for a second, and, and I'll come back to that in a minute. This morning, what we're doing is we're starting a new series in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's a church that he helped found on one of his missionary journeys. And he went there and he preached the gospel and he stayed there for a time and he and this church started to take root and he taught them and he walked with them. And then as Paul often did, then he would move on and go and preach the gospel in other places and do the same thing over. And so what happens is Paul begins to write these letters back and forth with the church in Corinth. And it's actually a series of of correspondence there. There's from the context. We know there's four letters that went back and forth. We have two of them. And so first and second Corinthians in our Bible are two of these letters of Paul writing back with the church in Corinth. And, and if you, even if you don't know much at all about first Corinthians or the church there, or who Paul was writing to, oftentimes, if we think of Corinth in this uh, vein in first Corinthians and we start to think about that, the ancient city that Paul knew, what often comes to mind is the church there was a mess. Right? That's, that's basically what we know. If you know anything, you probably know that the church was a mess. They had all kinds of issues and problems and things going on. And so Paul writes back and forth with them and he's correcting all these. And, and as we read through and as we study through this book together over the next several months, we'll see that a lot of their problems and a lot of things that are happening there are very modern problems. They're very much what's going on in our world today. And some of the things Paul addresses he he addresses disunity problems within the church and he addresses lawsuits 
and sexual sins and marriage and divorce and and how to worship and all sorts of things, social snobbery. The looking down on others and all that stuff that goes with that. And so as you work your way through Corinthians, you see a lot of very practical things that Paul's saying and he's writing to correct. And so as we look at that, we're going to see those things. But I ask the question about who you are and where you're going and those goals and things like that, because we're going to just look at the first nine verses, which Chris just read for us just a minute ago as we start today. And uh, what we see is Paul really rooting uh, who they are and starting off really very uh, positive in a lot of ways at the beginning of the letter. Uh, I was thinking about this, these first nine verses as you read through it. Um, For years, I coached basketball. Uh, Actually, when I was in seminary for three years, I coached basketball. And the routine during the season often was after a game, we would watch the video the next practice together. Before practice, we'd watch the game and we'd talk about things. And what you did as a coach often with your players is you'd start with what was good. Right. You guys played really hard and you played good defense or you did this and then you'd watch the video and you go into all the things they did wrong. And and you didn't want to just bombard them with that. You would start with the positives and then move to that. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what we see Paul doing here at the beginning. He's going to correct a lot of bad things that are happening in the church in Corinth. But he begins by rooting them in who they are in Christ and really encouraging them. And so that's what we're going to see these first Nine verses is Paul really starting off with kind of the positives and what's good. And then he's going to move in to correcting and and answering a lot of these things, which we'll get to in the next few weeks. We're just going to look at that beginning, though, that encouragement this morning. And so as we go at those first nine verses, I want to go at it like this. We're going to ask three questions. First, who are we? How did we get here and where are we going? Right. And we could say that for the church at Corinth, also for the church today. And so as I do that, and as we go through that this morning, this idea of of who are we, what I'm talking about is who are we in Christ? Who are we as the church? If you're part of the church, and as we'll see here, as Paul explains it in verse two, that any who call upon the name of Jesus, putting their faith in Christ are now part of the church. And so that's what we're talking about is who are we as believers in Christ and who are we as part of the church? And so that's what we're going to look at with those three questions. And so who are we? How do we get here? And where are we going? And so let's just start with the who are we right at the beginning. And what what you begin to see as you just read through this, maybe as you even listen to Chris, just read those nine verses just a minute ago. You start to get this picture of Paul really just pushing by what he talks about, what's important. And as I was thinking about that. Uh, just just this week and is, is walking through that, you know, oftentimes we can tell what people really care about and what's important to them by what they talk about. You see it in their just what they get excited about and what they want to talk about. For example, if you were in my house this week, you would know that my son Asher today is his birthday. And you would know that because he talked about it all week because he was so excited that he's turning seven today. And that's a big deal when you're seven years old to, to turn seven. And so all week it was my party and what's going to happen and all these things. And just and so we do that. We get excited about the things we want to talk about. Actually, my friend Aaron and I were driving in the car the other day and we're talking and we started talking about music. And I'm kind of like that with music. I get all excited and oh, yeah, yeah, I like this and I like that. You know, we get excited and we talk about the things that are important. And when you read in verses one to nine, what you see In nine verses, as Paul mentions the name of Jesus Christ eight times, you start to see real clearly in who we are and what he's rooting us in, that that's very clear, that that's what he's talking about. 
And that's what he cares about. Then he keeps going back to Jesus and who we are in Christ and what that means. And so just as we're beginning today, I want us just to think about that, what it means to be in Christ, to be part of the church. I want you to just often like to remind this sometimes because we we talk oftentimes about going to church. You don't go to church. You are the church. We gather together as the church today. This is the gathering of the local church. You don't come to church. You are the church. Right? The church is the people who've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and made him their savior and the, the king of their life. And so that's what we're talking about. And when I what I say, who are we? That's what I'm addressing today. Who are you in Christ? And I want to just stop and say this morning before we really jump into that and look at these verses is that if you're here today and you're visiting or you came with somebody or whatever the case may be, and you're not a Christian, you wouldn't consider yourself part of the church or you wouldn't consider yourself Uh, putting your faith completely and totally in Jesus. I just want to say I am so thrilled that you're here and you're always welcome to be here and to come in and to join us. And we love having you. But I also want to say to you that as we walk through these things and what he's saying, he's addressing those that are in Christ. That's who he's talking to in this passage. But I also want you to know that although if you're not in Christ, Paul's not talking about you right now. I do want to say this, though, that if you're here, God is working on you. There's a reason you're here and he's he's drawing you and he wants you to be these things. He wants you to be part of this. And it's not an exclusive club. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's only by grace that we ever come in. And so if that's you today, I would just say this to you. Call on the name of Jesus Christ and you walk right into all of what we're going to look at. And so I just want to make sure if that's you here today, you feel welcome and that you understand that that's what it means to be in Christ is to put your faith in him. So with that, let's look at what he calls us and what he tells us who we are in Jesus. Look at verse nine first. I'm going to start at the end and then I'll go back up in just a second. But verse nine says this. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the first thing would say who we are as the church, as those that have put their faith in Christ, is that we have fellowship with the God of the universe through Jesus. And we often talk in words like that in a church fellowship. And I want us to think about what that means. That means a oneness, a partnership, an intimate relationship. And so for those that are in Christ, what it means for you is the God who spoke all things into existence, the God that holds all things together, you can have a complete and total access to him and a fullness and a oneness and a relationship with him through Jesus. And if put you faith, if you've put your faith in him, that's who you are today. You have fellowship with the holy, living, almighty God. I want you just to think about that for a second, because oftentimes when people ask the question of who you are, or what do you do or what's tell me your story or what it's about? We often start with vocation. This is what I do. This is who I am. But yet, if you are in Christ, you have fellowship with the God of the universe. And I want you just to think about how backwards that is to kind of lead with, well, I'm whatever. That you have fellowship, a oneness with the very God of the entire universe that holds all things together. And so the first thing we would say of of who we are is that we have this oneness, this relationship with the God of the universe. Go back up to the top, verses one and two. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified 
in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to stop right there because the second thing I'm going to tell you that you are who we are as those in Christ as you have been sanctified in Jesus. Again, we, we talk big kind of Bible words, sanctified. What exactly does that mean? And what that means is to be set apart, to be made holy, right? Holy. Again, we say that a lot. He is holy. We were just singing that the morning. This morning, it means set apart. It means other. It means different. And so when we think about being sanctified in Jesus and what that means is that we as people have rebelled against God. We're born in our sin. We've chosen to ignore God in the world that he's created. And because of that, there's a separation and we can't have full access. We can't have fellowship with God unless we are sanctified by Jesus. And so this idea of being sanctified means that God comes and he he removes our sin. He sets us apart from our sin so that we can have fellowship with God. And so when we say that we're sanctified in Jesus, what we mean by that is we've been set apart from our sin, that God has made this way for us to have this perfect fellowship with him. Now, if you've grown up in the church or you've been here even since the beginning of this year, you know, we did a series really on sanctification. We talked about that in terms of growing in grace, growing closer to God. And what we talk about often when we say this, this word sanctify and sanctification, we talk about it as an ongoing process. And so if you've heard that before and you think about that and then you read here that that Paul says that you are uh, he's talking to those in the church that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. He makes it sound like it's happened and it's done and it's complete and it doesn't really seem to hold up with the ongoing process. Well, I want you just to think about that for a second. Is it is it ongoing or is it a one time event and how exactly does that work? And I would say. True, it is ongoing, like we talked about at the beginning of the year. We grow in that through prayer and Bible study and fellowship and all those things that we walk through week after week. But I would also say that underneath that process is a decisive break that happens in your life in Christ. Right? The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And then when we put our faith in Jesus. He comes in and he gives us a new heart and he brings us alive. And then this process starts to happen. Now, there's two ways to look at it, though, because on one side, you are sanctified completely and totally by what Christ does for you. And you are made new and with God, you are good and you have that perfect fellowship. But then there's us in our sin and our flesh. And we've got to now walk that out and we begin to take those steps. And so it's happened. We have been sanctified. But then there's also this process that we begin to go through as we begin to walk that out and see that in our lives. So we'd say it's both. And so when we think about who we are. In Christ, we're one with God. We have this fellowship with God because we've been set apart or sanctified in Jesus. But that's not all he says. Look at the the second part of verse 5. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then he says, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the next thing I would say of who you are, if you are in Christ, is you are a saint. And sometimes when we say that, That's hard to get a handle on. And depending on what side and and where you are, maybe you hear that today and you're not a believer. And you hear me as a pastor stand up into the congregation of people in the church and say, you're all saints. We're all saints together. And that can sound really, really arrogant. Right. You could sit there and go, what? Really? He's going to say everybody that's a Christian is a saint. And that can sound really obnoxious and it can sound really arrogant. Or maybe you're a Christian 
and you know your own heart and you know what you've dealt with in your life and what you're still dealing with and the issues that you have and you go, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I am no saint. I'm still struggling with different things and I'm still walking that out. And so to call me a saint, I'm not sure about that. And so what I would say to both sides of that, whether you think it's arrogant or whether you go, I could never attain that, whichever side of that you're on, is you're missing one key thing. It is not based on you. It is based on what Jesus has done for you. You are a saint because you've been sanctified by Jesus Christ and made one with the living God of the universe by what he does for you, not your performance. And so that is why I can say you are a saint. When you call upon the name of Jesus, you are now a saint. Because it's his work, not your work. What a wonderful blessing that is that you have been sanctified and seated in the heavenlies. And now God bestows this name on you that you are a saint. You know, we really struggle with that sometimes. I was thinking about just a good example of a saint that we'd struggle with. The the guy on the cross next to Jesus. Right? You know the story? The guy looks and sees what's happening and and observes Jesus as he's being crucified justly for all the things he's done wrong. And he says, truly, you're the son of God and God and God in Jesus turns and says to him, you'll be with me today in paradise. That man, the moment he said, surely you're the son of God, saint. As he hangs on the cross, dying for what he had done, he's a saint. And so the moment that we call on the name of Jesus, he bestows on you that you're now a saint. And it's all because of what Christ does for us. Look at the very end of verse 2 for the next one. Right? We're, we're called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so who are you? Let's say we're, we're sanctified and we're at one with God and we're saints and we're also now part of a family. Part of a family of those that call on the name of Jesus We're now saints together. We're a family together. Scripture says it in so many different ways. We're brothers and sisters. We're living stones being built up into a house. We're a holy nation. We're the body of Christ. We're a new family. When you put your faith in Jesus and he comes and he he brings you back to life and his spirit resides in you, you now have a connection with all those all over the world of all time that put their faith in Christ and you have a connection that is far deeper than any other in your life. So the who you are is you now have a new family, a new family with connections far beyond anything else. And it's such a beautiful picture that we have there, the deeper connections that then happen. People that maybe you would think, why in the world do we ever get along or how can that work or what what our society would look at and go, that doesn't make any sense. Right. It's like I can go and I can talk for hours with my friend Arch, who's 50 years my senior Many times in the last couple of years, I'll walk through the church and Arch will be sitting in there reading. And you stop and two hours later, we're talking about what he's reading. And the reason that happens is because the same spirit that is, that is exciting me about who God is is happening in Arch's life. And so we have a connection there that's far deeper than anything else. And so two people that you go, really? You get along that well? Yes, absolutely. It's because... The Savior that has saved me and pulled me out and brought me to life is the same one that's working in his life. What a beautiful picture. Or think about this as, as we gather to worship today. And here we are in the middle of, of North Georgia. And then all over the world, people gather to worship the same God, whether it be in our friends in Canada or the Abbott family in the middle of Africa 
or believers meeting secretly in China or North Korea or Afghanistan or Iraq, and they are our brothers and sisters. And we have a connection deeper with those people than anybody else because it's the same spirit that is moving in their lives and empowering what they're doing that is moving here. What a beautiful picture. So who are you is you're now part of a family. A family with connections that is far deeper than anything else that we've ever experienced or could have. Look at verses 4 to 7, and this will be the last one before we move to how did we get here. But look at what he says in verses 4 to 7. So I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you just to see what Paul says about who we are there in those verses. And he begins to tell us, he says, you've been enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. You've been confirmed among you. You're not lacking in any gift. And so what we start to see there is that in Christ and who we are is we've now been equipped for the work that God wants to do. He's confirmed it in you through his spirit. And he's begun to give you spiritual gifts and begin to show you different ways that you can serve him and you can move and you can work. And so when we start to think about who we are in Christ is that we're equipped in every way. To glorify him and to walk with him and to, to seek him and to, to do the things that he's told us to do. To go make disciples of all nations. He's given you the, he's equipped you in a way to do it and then he's placed you in this family to go and do it. And so as we think about who we are in Christ, we could say it like this. When you're a saint, sanctified by Jesus Christ, having full access to the God of the universe with a worldwide family who has been Fully equipped for the glory of God. If you are in Christ, that is who you are. Right now, today, you've called upon the name of Jesus. That's you. That's pretty awesome to think about. And yet when people say, hey, tell me about you. Who are you? I'm a banker. Nothing wrong with being a banker. But it pales in comparison to who you are in Christ. Right? The ways that we say. I want you just to think about that. Think about it next time somebody says, what do you do? Think about maybe next time going, I am a saint that has been called by God and set apart for his glory. How would that go over? Think about that. that that's who you are. And so the second part I want us to think about is how in the world did we get here? Because quickly we want to make it about us and what we do. I'm a saint. You know, it's so quick. Our heart starts to. To creep in. So how did we get there? Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You are these things because by God's grace it has been given to you. It's not your doing. Yes, you're a saint and you're a saint because God has bestowed it upon you. Right? Grace simply means unmerited favor. God has bestowed these things on you, undeserved merit, right? He's given you these things that, that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us by his grace. And so when we consider how are we all these things, it's because of Jesus. Because he comes and does this for us and he gives it to us by his grace as a free gift. Now, people don't like to hear that. 
Everything you are and all these good things are because what Jesus has done for you. We want to make it things that we do. That's why we try to turn Jesus into just a good teacher, which leads us to Jesus is just a way to get to heaven. He's one of many ways. Right? If we get to Jesus is just a good teacher, then what happens is we follow his teachings the best we can, and if we do it, then we're okay. And so it doesn't really matter which way you choose because you just follow those the best you can. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Jesus said. It's not what Paul says here in verse 4. He says it's by the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. God has done this for you. And it is only through what Jesus does for you that you can ever have any of this. It's because we can't do it. You know, we talk about fellowship with a perfect, holy God. The only way that we ever attain fellowship with the whole is by being perfect. And so if Jesus is just a good teacher, we're in trouble. Because none of us can ever follow that completely. We can't do it. We cannot do it in any way. And so when we think about how do we do it, how is it possible? It's by God's grace. Jesus came and he lived the life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we should have died. And then he says, I give it to you as a free gift. It is by my grace given to you. And so even that, now that's true and that's absolutely, and we're holding to that and we're proclaiming that. Every time we're together, it is by God's grace alone that that's possible. But I want to take it one step further because what happens when we start to think about it is, well, why did you respond to God's grace? Why did you even get it? Right? Yes, it's completely by God's grace, but why did you understand it? And so I go back to verse 1 for just a second. Were you smart enough to figure it out? Because what Paul says is, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. The reason that you ever got it or you ever understood it was God's calling. God opened your eyes to see it. He allowed you to see who he is and then you went, ah. And that's the only way that all the way through, how did you respond? You responded because of God's will, because of his call, because he showed you. And so what that does and why that's important to at least consider even for just a moment here is that we begin to see that all the way down the line, it's God's doing. Every single part of it. It's all by his grace and what he does for us and the way he begins to show us. And so when we get the question of how did we get here, we got here because of God's grace. Right. And how did we understand or get God's grace because of his calling And why did he call us? He called us because he called us. Well, why did he call us? Well, he called us because he loved us and he loved us because he loved us. And that's the end. That means it's not you. It's all him and his mercy and his love. And it's all about him all the way down the line. God calls you and he loves you and he holds you and all those things because of who he is. And that turns us back. It's what Paul gets to in Romans three. Well, where is boasting? There is no boasting. It's grace. It's by the grace of God that he's done this. There's no boasting. There's no, hey, look at me, I'm a saint. Yeah, I'm a saint because of what Christ did for me. It's not me. It's Jesus doing it for me. And so that's how we got to who we are. Completely and totally by the grace of God and what he's done for us. It's all him. And so then the last part I would say is, well, where are we going? If that's who we are and how we got there, where are we going Look with me for just a second at verses 6, 7, and 8. And so even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, 
so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question of where we're going is this. You're going to stand before the holy God, creator of the universe, and you're going to be blameless. Perfect. That's where you're going. If you're in Christ and the wonderful truth of looking at all that is he's the one that calls you and he's the one that keeps you. And it's by his grace and it's his doing. He's the one that's going to sustain you. And it's all him all the way down the line. And you're going to stand perfect and blameless and have complete and total access to the God of the universe and get to be in his presence for eternity because of what he's done for you. That's where we're going. And so I want you to think about that for just a second of of where we're going. Uh, We could say, uh, hopefully that's sooner rather than later. I don't know about you. I sat right here this morning at six o'clock and prayed that Jesus would come today. Overwhelmed by that thought, what that would be like, maybe today. And wanting that, praying that, asking that. But what if it's tomorrow? And it might be. But if it's tomorrow, what are you going to do this afternoon? That's where I'm going, right? We can go, well, this is the end. This is where we're going. Yes. But what about today? What about the, this afternoon? You know, it says here that we, that we wait uh, for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some translations say we eagerly wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like eagerly because I'm eagerly awaiting the revealing of, of Jesus who will sustain us to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, eagerly awaiting. What does that look like? The where are we going? We know the end. So what does that look like in our day to day? How do we live that out? We know the standing before him in glory and all beyond what we can imagine. But what about today eagerly awaiting? Do we say we know the ends and the ends is blameless and all the things that God bestows on you in Christ and wonderful? Yes. And so do we go, do I hole up and wait for that? It's a scary world. It'd be a lot easier just to kind of keep everybody tight together and, and wait it out. And the answer I'd say is absolutely not. That is not eagerly awaiting for the revealing of the Lord. I think of eagerly awaiting and I think of Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Where are we going? That's what it should look like. We're going to run. We're going to run as hard as we can until he comes back. Making disciples of all nations. Doing exactly what he told us to do. Because I want you to think about the way he set that up. He just says here that he's bestowed upon you everything you need and all these gifts. And he's put you in a family that loves you. This worldwide family. And he's given you all these things. Why did he give you all those things? So you can go make disciples. So you can go spread the glory of his name and the time that he's given you. You know, one of the best, I love the end of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, right towards the end of the letter. Paul has this beautiful picture of what's to come. The immortal, or the mortal will put on the immortal and we'll, we'll get these resurrection bodies and this beautiful picture of all these things. And he says, he gets to the very end and he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he gets this huge picture of what's to come and how beautiful it is and all these things. And he says all this. And then he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so that's the ends. But what about our future in terms of just today and tomorrow until he returns? And it's to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Going out and proclaiming his name and making not much of him and making disciples. And so as we think about it today, and, and I want you just to think about this as we leave and as we end this morning. So when someone asks you, who are you? What are you about? What's your deal? May our answer be that we're sinners called by the, by the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to live for his glory. Until the day we stand before him blameless. What a beautiful picture of what he's bestowed upon us and what he's given us and what he's called us to. May that be the way we see ourselves and our life's calling and who we are and where we're going. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Thank you for these letters written to your church. We thank you that your word is living and active and it is true today as the moment that it was written that your words are eternal, that you have a plan for us. We thank you that you have bestowed upon us far more than we ever deserve. Through Jesus, you've given us so much. We pray that we'd be faithful with what you've given us, that we would ever more yield to your spirit and be so excited about proclaiming your name, making much of you, that you would be our identity in all ways and in all things, that we would seek to go out and to just shout it from wherever we are, that who we are is we are yours and we want to be used by you. We thank you for all you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.